Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A great and glorious Father, we come before you this very morning and we pray that you would help us. Lord, for we know that your word is living and active, that your word, O Lord, is sharper than any two-edged sword that it pierces into the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, that you, O Lord, are only able to be able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of our very hearts. And we pray you would do so this very morning. Use your swift sword, your delicate scalpel, to be able to cut and remove the sin found in the intentions and thoughts within our hearts. That we, O Lord, would be used for your glory. Use your word upon us. That we might be operated upon. That we might serve you and find hope in the gospel. Give us new hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 to 29. This is God's holy, inerrant, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did they rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we are, must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We come now to the third and final plague in the third and final cycle of the signs and wonders. That every end of the third cycle of each plague begins not with a warning to Pharaoh, but a command to Moses to go and to stretch out his hand. There's no announcement to Pharaoh what is to come. Pharaoh wakes up one morning and darkness 
has descended upon his land. That throughout all of these signs and wonders, we have seen God's power over the whole earth, God's preservation over his people, God's providence over history and hearts, God's punishment of evil and wicked sinners. And each of these signs and wonders show forth all of these aspects in various ways. You could spend each time looking at each of these throughout every single sign and wonders. It shows us how God relates to creation, his people, his world, his enemies. And now as we come to the penultimate sign and wonder, we see God's judgment clearly over Pharaoh and his land. How do we see God's judgment over Pharaoh and his land? The first we see is God shows his judgment by darkening Pharaoh's land. God shows his judgment by darkening Pharaoh's land. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Out of nothing became everything that we see. That very first day in creation, God spoke and said, let there be light. Light was separated from darkness and Light came beaming around the whole world, traveling in all the created universe of 186,282 miles per second. To put that in perspective, if you were to travel the speed of light from the earth to the moon, you can go there and back in 1.5 seconds. Light is one of the most fascinating aspects of all creation. You could look at every aspect of creation, and, and people have spent years, millennia, studying specific aspects of all of creation. To be able to study the intricacies of the human body, the, the, the depth of all the living creatures, of all living things that grow on this earth. And light, again, is one of those most fascinating things. Intricate details about what light is. The speed of light. And light is used throughout our days, and we merely think of light as some form of way for us to be able to see. But light is used throughout our days in ways that we don't even fathom or understand. Light is used to be able to form food, to be able to grow plants, sustain life, helps the growth of the human body, regulate of physiology, sight, vision, heat, temperature, drying, evaporating, speed regulation, source of electrical energy, sanitation of the earth in killing germs of microorganisms. And when the Lord created light, all of these things were found in this very thing. Light is more than merely just a flashlight. Light sustains life. Light is one of the most essential parts of life that we have. And light and darkness from creation are not then merely just things of a break of day and the darkness of night. But then light and darkness became words that the Bible speak about 
have a broader meaning than the physical things that we see or do not see. But to walk in light is to do good. To walk in darkness is to do evil. The psalmist writes in Psalm 18, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. The poetic symbolism, not just good versus evil, but depression and and happiness and the diametrically opposed opposites. Or Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to those who who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And darkness then becomes not merely just something physical, but something spiritual in people's hearts. And the end is in how they live and walk. Darkness becomes the symbol of judgment, of desolation. Zephaniah says the day of wrath is that day. The day of distress and anguish. The day of ruin and devastation. The day of darkness and gloom. The day of clouds and thick darkness. Darkness then is is a sign of God's judgment. Thus, as God created all things and said that they are good, let there be light separating the light from the darkness, then judgment descends. God removes what is good and sends darkness upon Pharaoh's land. And this penultimate plague is not shining forth His light, it's removing His light. And this darkness comes without warning over Pharaoh's land. Darkness so dark that it can be felt. It is hard for us to really begin to imagine and fathom that kind of darkness. A darkness that not merely is just something we cannot see, but something that from in we can feel. Very rarely, I think, we have actually stood in complete darkness. And this is the darkness that has come and descended upon the land of Pharaoh. Light can come from various sources, not merely the sun. Even on the darkest of nights, there's still sources of light that we can see. Even our skin is bioluminescent. We as human eyes can be able to see those range of of lights. And as we think how the plagues and the signs of wonders have been amplified as they go through the chorus joining in the symphony as the song of the orchestra gets louder and louder, why then is darkness the second from the last? Surely boils or death are worse than darkness. but I think we truly cannot fathom what this darkness would have been like. This is the first plague that is mentioned in Psalm 105. Out of emphasis of the drastic nature of what has done, been done. But also when we think about these signs and wonders as, 
as God conquering the gods of Egypt. As we see in Numbers 33, verse 4, it's not only judgment upon Pharaoh, but judgment upon the gods of Egypt. The supreme god of Egypt was known as Ra, was the king of all the deities, the father of all creation. He was a patron of the sun, heaven, kingship, power, and light. He was the one that was meant to rule over all gods. And Egyptians even worried about the night as the sun descended beyond the horizon. That that was the moment of fear for them. Where is Ra? They would await until the morning, until the sun would ascend over the horizon again and rejoice when they did. Most often, this is why Pharaoh probably went down to the waters during the morning to be able to worship Ra, that he might find favor in his sight. And Pharaoh was even seen as some form of demigod, as some physical incarnation of of Ra in person, ruling and reigning over his land and his kingdom. And yet, here the Lord shows his judgment upon what they most claimed and worshipped. The God shows his power and judgment over the supreme God of all the Egyptians, conquering and defeating them. The God who they called upon and sought to be able to protect them is now hidden, now gone, and defeated. The greatest of the Egyptian gods has no power over the Lord. And Pharaoh, in all of his power, is unable to stop this darkness. And when we think about Christ coming down to earth, we often think about him as light coming into this dark world. As the Apostle John begins his gospel, in him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. However, when we think about Christ descending unto the earth, we need to remember that Christ, the light of the world, came into this dark world. That there was a moment in time when God removed His light from Christ. That the Father covered the earth with darkness as Christ then descended into the deep, dark crevices of the dark grave for three days. That Jesus came to earth and the Father sent Him to judge Him for our sins the sins of his people. As Matthew records the events of this darkness that falls upon Jesus in Matthew chapter 27, he says, now the sixth hour there is darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemak samak bagli. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
the eternally begotten Son of the Father, the second person of the Trinity, united to the man of Christ in pain and anguish at the crucifixion. And he cries out as darkness then descends upon him, as judgment comes upon him. That here, days before, Jesus wept in the garden saying, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. There's a physical pain I'm sure he does not want to go through, but the pain of the separation of the darkness and the judgment descending upon him. Not just a sin, all sins of his people. There's no way for us to be able to truly calculate the the weight and burden that Christ bore upon the cross as the Father turned His face from His Son. His wrath poured out in full. God judged Pharaoh for his wicked deeds, and Christ was judged for ours. As that darkness descended, As Jesus quotes the Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I do find no rest. I hear that darkness of judgment was placed upon Christ. And he bore that darkness for us. Or the third stanza of, Alas, did my Savior bleed? Says, Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in. When God, the mighty Maker, died for his own creature's sin, he came to earth as the light of the world to be able to take the darkness of our sin to be able to take it from us. The grave in which we deserve to descend into and live eternity in all darkness and despair, cast out of the presence of God. We deserve to be cast out, yet Christ was cast out for us. We deserve to be judged, yet Christ was judged for us. Only for those who have faith in Jesus. Darkness is inevitable. The question is, who is going to face that darkness? Are you going to face this darkness for eternity? For those in Christ, Christ has faced it for you. The second thing that we see in this passage is God shows his judgment by denying Pharaoh's condition. God shows his judgment by denying Pharaoh's condition. Pharaoh has not always said no to Moses' request. He has told Moses that the people can go, but they can't go far. They can go, but they can only go and take them in. Or in this case, they can go. They can take all the people, but not any of the livestock. And Pharaoh, throughout all of this Time has, has sought to be able to wrestle with God in, in trying to show forth his power in some for, form of negotiation. And yet every time he has come up short, the Lord is very clear and holds all the power. 
the Lord, the one who is most powerful over Pharaoh, over Pharaoh's God and God's. As Pharaoh seeks to be able to limit what the Israelites are able to take. However, God, through Moses, does not cave to his request. Moses explains that our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take them to the Lord, to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know what we must serve the Lord with until we get there. And the people are saved by God to be able to serve the God that they will save them. But they don't go out just merely thinking how is the best way we seek to be able to serve and worship God. They go there seeking to be able to receive commands on how he is to be worshipped. The Lord will give them instructions on how they are to worship him. And godly worship is not created by man as we will see in the golden calf incident, as we see as we get to Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. God tells man how he is to be worshipped, not the other way around. And the man does not make up his own way to be able to worship or serve the Lord. That is what Paul explains in Romans chapter 1, when man exchanges the truth about God for a lie, what he does, he worships creation rather than the Creator. That's the point where Jesus makes it the woman of the well in John chapter 4 as the woman tries to be able to explain it doesn't matter how we worship God, where we worship God. But Jesus says, well, it does. You're going against how, what God had commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 4. But he says that there will be a time when true believers will worship in spirit and in truth. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Your Pharaoh is trying to show his power and might and saying, You can go, but you're going to go and serve God in, in my way or in my time, in my demands. God does not cave. Again, this shows the point and the purpose of, of God saving his people. It's not merely that he saves his people from slavery. He saves his people from slavery that they might serve and worship him. That they might go and be his servants to build his house and give glory and honor to him. That this principle is not merely an Old Testament principle, but one found in the New Testament as well that we do not seek to be able to make up ways to be able to worship God, but God tells us in His Word how we are to worship Him. One pastor once explained the issue of modern worship is that we think that worship is about the consumer. That we think, what do we want? Well, what type of worship do you want? How long do you worship, want the worship to be? What type of preacher do you want? What type of songs do you like? What type of prayers should we pray? What entertains us? What makes us feel good? It's the right question, but it's wrong. What does the consumer want in worship? Well, the truth is, the consumer is not us. 
that we give worship to God. God is the consumer of worship, the one in which we stand before in all glory and honor and give praise and honor to Him, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who descended into this world to be able to save us from His sins. What does He want? To be able to approach Him, as the author of Hebrews says, with reverence and awe. Praise and adoration, not merely external action, but heartfelt, true worship from spirit and from truth. That he would receive all glory, power, and honor. We see this not merely in the New Testament, but ultimately in the book of Revelation. Read through the book of Revelation and look at all the songs in which the saints sing. They speak not of us. Not of what we have done. Not how we feel. They speak of the glory and honor of God. The one who is worthy to be able to open the scroll. The one who is able to be able, we're able to sing sovereign Lord, almighty, hallelujah, praise unto you. We seek to be able to worship God in a biblical way centered around God and not us. To be able to worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. In accordance to what He has revealed to us in truth through the help of the Spirit. With the mediation of the Son, with the communion shared with the Father. James Torrance defines true worship as the gift of participating through or by the Holy Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. Pharaoh seeks to be able to command Moses how he is to go and how he is to worship. But God shows his judgment and his power by denying Pharaoh's condition. The final thing that we see here in Exodus chapter 10 is God shows his judgment by hardening Pharaoh's heart. God shows his judgment by hardening Pharaoh's heart. We see God's judgment when we read in the very last verses that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. The Lord denies Pharaoh's condition upon how he is to be worshipped, but he grants his second condition. The day has come. The time is now. God's slow to anger, patience, has given chance and opportunity for repentance to come, and yet Pharaoh seeks not the Lord. Pharaoh tells Moses to get out and stay out. We'll find out next in chapter 11 that the Lord actually warned Pharaoh, particularly before this time, in this time when they met in chapter 11. But Pharaoh has stood opposed to God from the very beginning. Nine times Pharaoh has seen God's power and his might through these great signs and wonders, and yet his heart is hardened all the more. The concrete exposed to the water hardens. 
Instead of falling to his knees in humility, he stands firmer in his arrogance. The reality is that many people love the darkness. John writes in John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The truth of the matter is, the gospel goes forth, the light shines, and yet people love darkness more than light. They love their wicked deeds more than they love the God who made them. R.C. Sproul, in a, a book that he, children's book he wrote called The Lightnings, explained that it's not that people are afraid of the dark, it's that people are often afraid of the light. The people love to live in darkness, they hate light. These lightlings, these little creatures which were made by some creator are made to be able to show forth and reflect this light. And yet they, they sin and they fall and they, they run and hide in the darkness lest their sins be exposed. So they live in darkness fumbling around trying to grab and grope whatever they can. And yet then there comes a light that descends into the world. And this light saves some lightlings. They realize their purpose was to shine forth the glory of God. And this little lightning that came took away all of their shame. And Pharaoh loves living in the dark. This plague... We see no pleading from Pharaoh to take away the darkness. The three days might have come and gone, but Pharaoh loves the darkness. And so too do we. We can hear the glorious news of the gospel, how Christ descended in a grave and conquered grave and darkness and death forever. But yet there are some of us who would much rather live in the darkness who hate the light, who think the light will expose us for our sins rather than save us from our folly. Let that be a warning for us of this impending judgment to come. As we see these judgments, the challenge is clear to us. We need to turn to God, to forsake the love of darkness. As God shows his power and supremacy over Egypt's gods, he still reigns today. Embrace the light. Turn to Christ, who dispels the darkness of sin and judgment because he descended into that sin and judgment in the darkness for us. Choose that path of true worship, aligning ourselves to God's revealed truth. Let us not be like Pharaoh persisting in rebellion, 
but instead humbly submit to God who offers salvation from darkness to bring us into that glorious light. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you that as we read your word, we see the, the hope of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. Lord, that we find that Christ descended into the grave and rose again at the break of dawn when the light began to beckon over the horizon. That we might, one day, as our bodies descend in the grave, be risen again into that glorious new light. We thank you that you have called us not to live as children of darkness, to walk as children of light in this world shining forth your truth and your glory. Help us as we seek to be able to worship you as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, light shining forth in this dark world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.